Thank you, my dear friend. Yes, sir. You know, Brother Insong and I and Lynette, we've all come way back, many, many years together, uh, having fun together, serving the Lord. But, you know, it was only recently when we discovered that uh, we had something more than that in common. In fact, uh, when we, you know, the father of Felicia. Felicia, can you just say hello to everybody? Felicia will be sharing her testimony to us today. And, you know, her dad's name, he's a really cute guy. Perhaps some of you have met him. His name is Oscar, Oscar Medallia. And uh, one, one day, the three of us with Insong were talking, and, what uh, is birthday? And uh, Oscar said, my birthday is July 5th, 1958. And I said, oh, my birthday is August 5th, 1958. And Insong said, well, mine is September 5, 1958. And you know what we are? We're the 555 Club. So, sardinas kami. So, that's great, you know. We, have, we belong to a very elite, a very special club that I don't think any of you here can belong to. So, we, you know, we've had so much fun over the years, Amen. enjoying each other's company. And we were sad, actually, when, when they had to come over here. But praise God, because uh, he has used this couple mightily, as he has used so many of you for the furtherance of his kingdom here in the United States. A beautiful, beautiful country. I know something about the States. I lived there for a while when I went to school. And actually, I didn't really go to school. It was just an excuse to party the whole time. <laughs> but uh, I don't know what happened. By God's grace, I was able to graduate. And so, you know, I, I've always enjoyed the U.S. My wife loves the U.S. We've been, you know, going around the place, driving, and um, spending a little more than we should have. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, we really thank God. You know, the U.S. is a beautiful country. and. I'm sure you guys see that. You appreciate that. In fact, a lot of Filipinos, they, they want to come here, right? They want to move here. They want to move to the, to the U.S. because the U.S. is supposed to be the land of abundance, the land of promise, etc., etc. But you know what? The truth of the matter is Jesus came to give us all of these things, all of abundance, of joy, of peace, of fulfillment, of, of happiness, right? In John 10, 10, it's very clear when Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But he came that what? That we may have what? Life and have it abundantly. All right? So Jesus came to give us a life of joy, of peace, of fulfillment, all these wonderful things, right? John 15 refers to all of these things as fruits, okay? The fruits of life for us to make and to enjoy as well. Unfortunately, the world has a different way of measuring abundance. They usually, the world measures abundance by either pleasure or treasure, right? But true abundance or fruitfulness is not worldly success, but it is actually a byproduct of relationships. Now, Jesus showed us how to have relationships. On the night before he died, he was with his disciples. And after having had dinner in the upper room, they walked out. And as they were walking, Jesus was telling them about what was going to happen. And, and the disciples were scared. You know, you and I, if we were in that situation, we would be scared too. Because they would lose their, their master, their best friend, their teacher, right? And as they walked along, they saw this vineyard. And Jesus, being having only a few hours left, you know, there's a word for it. Just like Jose Rizal, you know, before he was killed, he had this ulti, ultima, do you remember that? Ultima adios, right? This is what Jesus was practically doing. He was telling, he was giving them his mga pabili na because he was already on his, his way, on his way, uh, on his um, way to the, to the cross. And um, as he was walking, he began to speak and he said this. He said, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. 
Now, this first part of Jesus' statement, when he says, I am. You know, if you look at the book of John, there were seven times when Jesus said the words, I am. Every time Jesus said the word, I am, this is much cause for us to listen. Do you remember the seven I am statements? By the way, do you remember what they were? I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the bread of life. What else? Can you remember anymore? Sorry? Very good. All right. So there's seven. Every time Jesus said the words I am, what he meant to do was to, to show people that he was God. That he was actually the Messiah. And that nobody else could do what he could do. All right. Now when he says true vine, it makes reference to the Old Testament of the first vine. The first vine was the, the nation of Israel. Israel, as you and I know, was given special favor by God. For what purpose? To show that their obedience to God would bear fruit. Unfortunately, Israel failed. And God saw it fit to replace them with his one and only son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus became the true vine. And as he continues on in John 15, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may what? Bear more fruit. All right. So if you look at these two verses here, it mentions four elements. There are actually four elements that Jesus describes here. All right. The first one is the vine. Who is the vine? Jesus himself. The second is the vine dresser. Who is the vine dresser? Our heavenly father. The third are the? The branchers, the branches, the believers, the followers of Jesus, just like you and I, right? And finally, the fourth are the, are the fruit, okay? So, the vine. Jesus says in John 15, 1, he calls himself the vine, all right? What is he saying? He's saying that the vine is the part that grows from the ground straight up. Right? It's like from the roots, from the ground, from the roots, up. It's like the tree trunk. All right? And then he says, the part that brings what? Nutrients. You know, what are the usual nutrients that you get from the ground? Like all these chemicals or water, moisture, minerals. You know, all these things that from the ground, the, the vine brings up to the, to the branches. And then Jesus says what? Jesus says, I am that part. That's me. All right? What about the vine dresser? What about the heavenly father? What does he do? First and foremost, he is the owner. He is in charge of what? Of caring for the vines. What else? He is responsible for getting most grapes from each branch and to make sure that the fruit are what? Are big and sweet okay so the vine dresser just like any vineyard owner if you had a vineyard like the ones in napa valley and all of these things they're all competing against each other what are they trying to do they're trying to establish the greatest quantity and the greatest quality okay because quantity without quality is nothing and vice versa more or less right so just like any vine owner vine dresser god wants to provide to 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 create as much quantity and quality for the production of fruit of the vineyards what else does he do he nurtures he waters he cleans he protects the vines within the vineyard okay that is the role of the vine dresser and the third are the the branches right believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Now notice in John 15 too, Jesus says, every branch in me. 
Okay? So what does that mean? Is every person on earth a branch? Yes or no? Who says yes? Who says, I heard some yeses earlier. <laughs> Just kidding. Actually, no. Because it's very, Jesus is very specific. He's saying, in me. Right? So, meaning to say, what does it mean to be in me? It means that you are a, what? You are a believer. But not only a believer, but you're also a follower. Because can you be a believer without being a follower? Is that possible? Yes. Yes, it is. Right? In fact, a lot of people, unfortunately, are deceived into thinking that they are believers, but actually they don't follow. They just say, yeah, I know Jesus. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, he's good and all that. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, but when we look at the lives of some of our people, some of these people, then unfortunately it doesn't reflect the fact that they are actually following or obeying the Lord. Am I making sense to you? So, the branches, what do they do? The branches, they go from the top of the vine into separate directions. Usually, they're tied up with some kind of trellis or wire. Because without that, the branches will just fall and sag to the ground and be practically useless. Okay? So, a branch also is a, a, a believer, a follower of Jesus. All right? And finally, the fourth element are the... The fruit. Now, what are the fruit? The fruit are the believers and the followers' good works. So, in John 15, 16, Jesus says, I chose you and appointed you that you would what? Go and, and bear fruit. All right? So, do you think that this statement of Jesus, does it imply, does it, does it imply everybody or just a few? Is that all his followers ought to produce fruit? Is that what he's saying? That's right. So what are the qualities of the fruit that only followers of Jesus bear or produce the fruit? Meaning to say, if you are not a follower of Jesus, these are not my words, by the way, but these are the words of Jesus. If you are not my follower, then you cannot bear fruit. Right? You can produce something like a good works. You know, like the example of these two twins. And one day they said, hey, why don't you and I go downtown and you and I take care of some people, homeless people. Let's give them something. Now, one of them was a believer in Jesus. The other was not. But they went off to downtown in San Francisco or L.A. And they started giving food to homeless people. Now, the thing is, not, the two, not both of them actually produced fruit. Not the two of them. Only what? Only who? Only the one who believed, who surrendered his life to Jesus. All right? And the third is that it's done with a God-honoring motive. Okay? So, you know, motives, my dear friends, they're very subtle. Sometimes we don't know why we do what we do. All right? A motive is something that we have to be very careful of. Even me, as a pastor... You know, sometimes people may come up to me and say, whoa, that was a pretty good message. You finally got it right after so many years, you know. And uh, I say, really? You know, I, you have to be careful. I remember this, um, this uh, message that, you know, Craig Groeschel, you know, he, he confessed that he was, um, he was addicted to the applause, you know. So we have to be very careful. We got to check our hearts all the time to make sure that when we do something for the Lord, we're actually doing it for the right reasons. And that is to glorify God. Because we can do lots of things for the Lord. But the truth of the matter is, if we are not doing it for Him, then it is not a fruit. Alright? And finally, a fruit is a thought or an attitude or an action that God values. Because why? Because it glorifies you see, the first and foremost reason why God wants us to produce fruit, my dear friends, is because he wants to be glorified through the things that we do, that we do in our lives. Amen? Amen. So how many elements do we have in this story of Jesus? 
In John 15, we have the vine, we have the vine dresser, we have the, the branches and the, and the fruits. Okay, so Jesus went on and he started explaining how these things work together. And in John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he says, he who abides in me and I in him, he what? Let's read it together. He bears much fruit. For apart from me, what? You cannot do anything. So Jesus right here is talking about relationships. He's telling the disciples, you guys, you are the branches. All right? You have to always be connected to me, the vine. Otherwise, you will not be able to produce fruit. All right? Now, think about this. Why is it necessary for us to produce fruit? fruit in our lives. I mean, aren't we saved already? Ephesians 2.8 tells us that by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith, right? So if we're already saved, is it necessary for us to continue to produce fruit in our lives? Well, if you go on to verse 10, do you remember Ephesians 2.10? It says, for you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works. You see, doing good works in our lives, my dear friends, doesn't get us to heaven. But it is the evidence that our faith in God, in Jesus, is genuine. Because James 2.17 says that faith, if it is not accompanied by good works, is what? Is dead being by itself. So good works is not what gets us to heaven. It's not our passport to heaven, but it's an evidence. It's a byproduct. That we are bound for heaven because of our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know what? To tell you the truth, I learned this very, it was very difficult for me to learn this. Because as a baby Christian, as a young Christian, I was still bent on getting rich. And I was so fixated on just accumulating wealth, making money. That was my whole life, even if I thought I was a Christian. And you know what happened to me? God took away everything. I reached bankrupt. I was broken. I had nothing. My wife was going to leave me. And that was the time when God made me realize deep in my heart that I had to change my life. And from that point on, it's been a totally different thing. You know, God blesses us. But you see, the important thing that we all need to do is we need to what? We need to live for him. To produce fruit for him. To glorify him. Not ourselves, but him. Does that make sense to you? So what does this word here, abide, what does that mean? It means unity with God for a purpose. Abiding means unity with God for a purpose. Our topic today is about abiding in Jesus and being fruitful. Can you just tell your neighbor that? Abide in Jesus and be fruitful. Now, abiding actually means to continue, to, re to remain, to not depart from. All right? It's about relationship. Our topic today is about relationships. All right? Now, the world... When you say that you're doing something for God, even in the Christian world, because the world is so performance-driven, that success means doing things for the Lord. More and more, greater, higher, all of these things. You know, we get, we get caught up in that world mindset. We think we're do that's what we need to do for the Lord. I remember this pastor from the East. He was a great speaker. We saw him in Catalyst. And recently I found out that he was so overwhelmed with his work, his church that he started in, in Atlanta, I think, had gone over 100,000. And he was just so stressed out that he began to drink alcohol, drink, 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 until he got addicted and he had to step down. You know? You see... Jesus wants us to focus on abiding with him, on enjoying him, on really getting down deep and intimate with him. Not doing stuff for him, 
You know, but God, Jesus wants our heart. You remember the story of Mary and Martha, two sisters? You remember uh, Martha was busy in the kitchen making adobo and lumpia and, and, and you know, and, and she says, and Mary was there by the feet of yeah. Jesus listening. And, you know, Ma Martha said, Jesus, ano ba yan? Bakit, you know, oh, anybody here not speak Tagalog, by the way? Everybody speaks Tagalog? Okay, because of you, we will not speak Tagalog today. But you know what lumpia is, right? You like it? Good. You're in trouble if you don't. Okay? So Jesus, you know, Martha was, was getting really upset, and she went up to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, you know, why don't you tell Mary to help me out in the kitchen? What did Jesus say? Martha, Martha. Mary has chosen what? You remember the story? What is more important? What is more important to Jesus? Is it our hearts? Is it our love? Is it our commitment? Is it our time that we spent enjoying his presence? I like what Bruce Wilkinson said. He said, abiding means doing less work for Christ and spending more time with Christ. So let me ask you a question today, my dear friends. CCFLA. How is your quiet time? How is your quiet time? You know, I know that the U.S. What, what is quiet time? Okay, very good. Now I know. I will tell Pastor Peter. No, just kidding. No, I understand, you know. Uh, every time I speak to my friends here that live in the U.S., they always say, yeah, it's a great country. Yeah, we have beautiful trees and nice, and nice weather and all that. But the thing is the, the routine. You know, there's just no time. There's just so many things to do. Can you relate to that? Yes. Is that true? Yes. Okay, then move back home. <laughs> you can spend a lot of time in EDSA. Five hours a day. Okay? You can do your quiet time in the traffic. Might not be such a bad thing, huh? So how do we abide in Jesus? How do we abide in Jesus? How do we abide in him? How do we establish a growing, deepening relationship? You know, Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37, he said, and Jesus said to him, and he said, the greatest commandment is this. You shall love the Lord. You know, Pastor Insung mentioned it earlier. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. The question is, are we doing this? Is there evidence that we are actually doing this? How do we know? How do we know that we really love Jesus? What does it mean to love Jesus? Do our lives show this? Our relationships? Jesus says, if you love me, you will what? You will obey me. In 1 John 3.24, it says, the one who keeps his commandments, what? Abides in him. And he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Now we're talking about love here. And we know that many people sometimes we get confused. We think love is an emotion. We think love is, yeah, you feel good, romantic. Or you love your children. It's a feel good type of thing, you know. But the Bible, the word of God is very specific. And love and obedience are put together and cannot be separated. It means to be obedient, to love God, to love Jesus means to obey him and to be faithful to him. Now the Bible also tells us that our love has to be evident. It has to be seen. It has, we have to keep his commandments. Warren Wiersbe said, this abiding relationship is natural to the branch and the vine but it's most cultivated in the Christian life. It is not what? Automatic. Automatic. It takes effort, right? Abiding in Christ demands what? Worship. Worship, meditation on God's word, prayer, sacrifice, and service. And if we do this, then what happens? What do we experience? What a joyful experience it is. You know, to be honest with you, I fall short in this. I am... I hardly meditate on the Word of God. I, I should meditate a lot more. 
In fact, I get busy. I do my quiet time. I, I, I pray. I, I read God's word. But I don't meditate enough. And you know what? The times that I do meditate, I can see a total difference in how everything goes in my life. When we meditate, when you go deep in the word of God, when we take God that seriously and his word, we have everything to gain. You know, sometimes we think that, you know, we're good enough or something. Well, my dear friends, we can never be good enough. There's always room for growth. But, you know, the truth of the matter is this. Jesus gives every single human being a choice. He gives us all a choice. Jesus will never force himself on anyone. It's really totally up to each individual. And going back to John 15, he says, If anybody does not abide in me, you see, people unfortunately will not choose the right, to make the right decision and choose to abide in Jesus, to make him Lord and Savior of their lives. And unfortunately, these are not my words, but Jesus says he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are what? And they are burned. Now, if you think about that, it's scary, isn't it? And it's sad. Because unfortunately, too many people out there in the world refuse Jesus. Now, the, on the other hand, if you do abide in Jesus, in verse 7 it says, If you abide in me and my words, you see the condition is this, my words abide in you, then what? Ask whatever you wish and it will be what? It will be done for you. Now, unfortunately, some people might misunderstand this and say, Hey, you know, let's make God into a genie. I want a brand new car. I want a bigger house. I want this. I want that. You know, God says he'll give it, right? As long as I abide, right? Unfortunately, there's a lot of name it and claim it type of theology going around. And they're very, very successful. So my dear friends, we need to understand. We need to know the truth. What is Jesus really, really saying? So going back to our relationship and bearing fruit. The truth of the matter is this. Every single person on earth is in one of these four categories. The first, first category is the no fruit. Level two is the fruit. Third level is more fruit. And finally, it's the much fruit. Now, where do you think the majority? Let's, let's talk about Christians. Okay, let's just talk about Christians. True Christians, where are the majority of true believers? In what basket, do you think? Level one, level two, three, or four? Level one. I would say, according to Bruce Wilkinson, about 70%. And level two, who have some fruit in their lives, are probably, I'm just guessing, around 20%. And more fruit is like 8%. And much fruit is only what? 2%. Now I may not have the numbers exactly right. But the, the fact is. The great majority. You and I. We need to produce what? More fruit. God wants us to produce more fruit in our lives. Now that's not easy. Of course. You know we got our schedules. We got our stuff to do right. But you know what? If you think about it, is it possible? I mean, I never thought I could continue my work. I thought I had so much work to do. I, I am a volunteer pastor, just like your pastor. And I thought, wow, I'm doing so many things. How can I be a pastor? But you know what? God has a way of multiplying your time, your treasures, and your talents. And that is the truth. When we step up and say, yes, Lord, I will do it. I will serve you. Use me. You watch. Because 
Mathematics, arithmetic, all these things don't mean anything to God. He is the God of the universe. He is unlimited resources. I remember this one person from our congregation came up to me and telling me about his problems after the end of the service. And, and I asked him, I, I don't know, God compelled me to ask him about his salvation. And he says, and I asked him, I mean, I hope you don't get offended, but are you sure that when you die, you will go to heaven? And you know what? I, I was shocked with his answer. He said, I'm not sure. Why is that? Because I'm, do, I'm not doing anything for God. I mean, yeah, I come here, worship service. I listen to the message, and that's it. I pray a little bit, but not much more. You know, you see, James 2.17, we talked about it earlier. It says, if we aren't producing good works in our lives as evidence, then perhaps there's something wrong with our faith, right? And if there's something wrong with our faith, if it's not saving faith, then do you think we might be in trouble? I'm not saying that we need to produce good works to get saved. But if we are really saved and our faith is alive and our faith is active, then we will want to serve God. Do you understand what I'm saying? We will want to produce more food, regardless of how busy or how difficult or how tired we are. Right? So what happens to the people, to us, the branches that don't produce anything? We're the barren branches. God disciplines us. You see, in verse 7, he says, in verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, takes away doesn't mean take away to destroy, but takes away means to, to come up, to, to rehabilitate, to restore, to take out of the ground, to clean up, so that branch becomes productive once again. So let me ask you a question. What hinders our fruitfulness? Is it because we're too busy? Is it because of sin in our lives? Or perhaps we're too tired? Or maybe we have the wrong priorities? Whatever it is, you know, whatever it is, God will deal with us. And sometimes it might not be to our liking. But the reason why he does that is because he wants to restore us so that we are once again productive. Okay? So, Hebrews 12.5 tells us, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he what? He disciplines and he scourges every son he receives. You know, disciplining is, is definitely not easy. I remember when I was a kid and, my, and I'd do something wrong and my dad said, go to the room, I'm going to spank you. You know, I would first run to my room and put on about five, six pairs of pants so that the blows wouldn't hurt that much. You know, because discipline hurts a lot. I remember this one guy, he was in our D group. And all of a sudden, he disappeared because they invited him to run for mayor of his town. And he won. And while he was mayor, he became wealthy. He was, you know, it is back home, right? They have this thing called wetang. Have you heard of wetang? Anyway, not to judge, but he was living a, a very, uh, he was spending a lot of money, you know, do, committing a lot of uh, immorality, getting drunk all the time. And eventually, things began to change. His parents died within a matter of months. He lost the next elect, the re-election. He lost everything. And he was down on the ground. And God called him again. And today, he's serving faithfully in our new ministry in CCF called the Healing Grace, which deals with uh, people that have HIV and AIDS. So he's serving faithfully there, you know. So discipline, it, it hurts, but God has to do it as a loving father. Just like if you had your children and you felt that they weren't doing what they ought to do, would you just stand by and just allow them to do it? That's how God is. And another thing that he does is this. In every branch that bears fruit, 
he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. All right? So what does pruning mean? It means to cut off or cut back for better shape and more fruitful growth. Now, pruning is similar to discipline, but the difference is pruning is done by God even when you are producing fruit. It's to make you produce more fruit. Now, if you don't know what God is up to in your life, then you might say, God naman, why are you allowing these things to happen to me? I'm already serving you. Right? We might resent it. Like a lot of people resent it. You know, but examples of, of people that were pruned, like even our sister Lynette here. I hope you don't mind if I use your example. When she found out that she had a very serious uh, kidney, kidney disease. And because of that, Brother Insong had to pack up his wife, his kids, and move to the U.S. And they, were, they had a great life in Manila, but because of her. So I'm, I'm sure deep in their hearts, they're saying, you know, Lord, we've been taking care of the praise and worship ministry. Uh, what else were you doing there, Brother Insong? Everything. <laughs> a lot. And, uh, you know, and this happened. And, and so in the back of their minds, saying, God naman, why? But look at that. He brought them here. He healed our sister. And because of their being here, by the grace of God, he has been glorified through you guys. Right? Through CCFLA. Does that call for an amen? Amen. 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 Praise God. So pruning, it's cutting off. Or cutting back for better shape, more fruitful growth to cut away what is unwanted. Okay, sometimes the vine dresser will cut the dead wood because of insects, disease. Sometimes he will cut on living tissue. Now, living tissue, even to the point of whole grapes, he will cut off the whole branch, even if it's producing, so that the fruit becomes sweeter, becomes sweeter. And bigger, and, and the quality and the quantity is enhanced. You see, that is what God is doing with pruning. And what is his objective in James 1 2? He says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be what? Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, God sees each and every one of you as a masterpiece. He knows what each, and you, each one of you can do, is capable of doing. And he wants to make the most of you, most of us. But the thing is, the response is really up to us. We can rebel, we can resist, or we can rest, knowing that God has our interests at best. Warren Wearsby said, pruning does not simply mean spiritual surgery that removes what is bad. It can also mean cutting away the good and the better so that we might, what? Enjoy the best. You see, the enemy of good, my, my friends, is not bad. All right? The enemy of good is not bad. It is best. Because all too often, we compromise. And we say, ah, pwede na yan. He wants to be the first hundred year old in the boxing ring. Okay? So, God's strategy, discipline and pruning, are they both painful? What's the difference? In discipline, we are in sin. Usually, we are displeasing God. In pruning, we are seeking to please God, right? In discipline, do we have fruit? No fruit. In pruning, do we have fruit? Yes, fruit. So what do we do? What is our response? When we are being disciplined, what do we do? We humble ourselves. We what? We repent. And if we are being pruned, what do we do? We, we rest. We say, yes, Lord, you are in control. You see, he might be dealing with all these things, our possessions, our profession, our position, people around us, physical illness, 
plants, etc. All these things are areas where God can discipline and He can prune us. But the important thing for you and I to do is to what? Is to learn from it. To profit from it. You see, disappointments that come not by our own fault. They are the trials or corrections of heaven. And it is our own fault if they prove not to our advantage. We have to learn, my dear friends. Perhaps we need to change something in us. Our attitudes, maybe. We need to clarify our priorities in life or realign them. Something, some adjustments. You know, the greatest example of pruning is in the book of Job, right? You know the character Job? In, in Job chapter 1, it tells us that he was upright. He was, he was a bless. I mean, he didn't do anything wrong. He was, he was uh, in God's book, he was a triple A guy. Did everything right. But yet, what? Did he have to go through a lot of pain? Yes, he did. Right? So the first relationship Jesus emphasizes on for you and me are our relationship with him. The second is with others. With, one, with you and I, with one another. See, Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no, uh, has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You see, Jesus gave us the example of how to love one another. You know, I'm a pastor who marries people. Anybody want to get married here, by the way? Ten minutes long. But you have to do it in Manila. Okay. We always like to talk about the word love because many people, unfortunately, don't understand the real meaning of the word love. They say, love is goo-goo eyes. Or, wow, I love your shoes. Or I love your coat. I love your dress. I love your, your Michael Kors bag or whatever, right? Or is it Tory Kors? Oh, never mind. <laughs> anyway, where was I? What do we need to do for others? You know, they say love... Listen to me. Love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person for their highest good that often requires sacrifice. Did I, did I marry you and uh, Lawrence? No. Not me, right? Did you hear that already? No. Okay. I always like to say that in weddings. Okay, so what do we do for other people? You know, here in CCF, we are told to really reach out to people. Amen? Have you heard of this? The pray, care, share? Pray for people in your circle of influence. Pray with them too. Care for these people through sincere acts of kindness. Share what Jesus has done in your life. Share the gospel. Offer to help them to know Jesus more. You know, the greatest example of an evangelist here amongst us is our sister Diona. Have you heard of them? Heard of her? Diona Tanchi? Yeah. Diona Tanchi is a, a gospel sharing machine, you know. She'll just share the gospel as often as she can to as many people as she can. It's incredible. You know, sometimes in the plane, they won't even sit together. They'll sit in other places so that they can share to the person beside them. You know, sometimes Pastor Peter rubs his face like that. But then Diona, because she's right, she gets her way there. <laughs> so third relationship is the relationship with the world. Now, the first two relationships talks about love, right? Love God, love Jesus. And love others. But the third relationship is the opposite. First John 2 tells us that do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So does this mean that you and I were supposed to run to Where's that place you guys ski here? Big Bear? White Bear? Red Bear? Big Bear. You're supposed to run to Big Bear and just ski the whole time? Are you just going to supposed to run away because you can't love the world? Because, you know, especially here in, in this country, we know, right? A lot of people, you talk about Jesus, they don't like it. They get offended, right? Especially in, even in government, they've taken away prayer from schools. They've done a lot of things, Right? So it's, it's difficult. It's even more difficult. But if you think if it's difficult for you guys here in the U.S., how much more those brethren in the Middle East? Those guys are having a harder time, right? So I like this. It says we are not to be isolated but insulated, moving in the midst of evil but untouched by it. 
So how does this happen? Relationship. You see, if we do not have a close abiding relationship with Jesus and amongst yourselves here, my dear brethren, we are going to get stained. We're, we're going to get affected. We're going to get mahahawa tayo by the world. So Jesus talks about the reality of the situation in the world. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also what? Persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So many of us, my dear friends, are going through persecution. It's all right. It's part of the game. It's really part of it, okay? Today, I'd like to ask a young lady committed to the Lord to come and share with us her testimony. Felicia Medallia. Good morning. My name is Felicia Medallia. I'm 20 years old and I'm a student athlete at Cal State Fullerton. I was born into a Christian home to parents who raised my brother and I in the knowledge and love of the Lord. However, I can say that I personally came to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior when I was eight and this progressed to a deeper relationship with him when I was 13 years old. I have a very strong and competitive spirit. I always aim for excellence and be in being the best in whatever I do. I bring this attitude and desire into my golf game and into my studies. God brought me to Cal State Fullerton from the Philippines and I started on the fall of 2015. During the start of my freshman year as a Titan, God blessed my efforts for him by allowing me to positively impact the team. I finished our season as the second strongest player on the team, having done well in the tournaments we joined. Then academically, God, God blessed me to be on the Dean's list for both semesters. To top all of this, towards the end of my freshman year, my disciple from crew, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, challenged me to step up into a leadership position. She called me to lead the student athletes Bible study that we would have to start for the next school year. I believe that it was really God's calling for me to accept the invitation because he had in fact spoken to me before I even met up with her. He already told me that she was going to ask me to lead the athletes Bible study for the next semester that it led me to already ask my, for my coach's approval before she, even, before she even told me. I would like to say that everything was going well and looking bright and beautiful and I thought that it was gonna stay this way, but God had other plans. Before the school year, before the school year started, my family and I went on a family vacation to Mexico. On our way to the airport, we decided to stop for a quick dinner and unfortunately, my brother's car got broken into. The thief stole my backpack that had all my essentials and all the things that were important to me, which started my school year on a bad note. And then when the semester began, we had the qualifying competitions that determined who would comprise the traveling team. I was considered one of those who was certain to be on the team because of my performance the last year. I had also played a lot of events over the summer, so I went into the qualifiers confident that I was going to be part of the traveling team. However, to my shock and my coach's shock too, I finished last in qualifying and did not make the traveling team for the first tournament of the season. My game just wasn't the same and this went on for the next three tournaments. I wasn't playing, in, I wasn't playing well and I was beginning to get anxious. This and the fact that I was not doing academically well stressed me out and made me anxious. I just wasn't getting the high grades I got when I was a freshman. I had, been, I had been missing classes and lectures due to me being in the golf tournaments. The stress over my bad performance on the golf game and my poor grades were just mounting and my anxiety was escalating. The scores I had been getting on my exams were below my expectations and this has put my chances of being on the Dean's list again this semester in jeopardy. 
I also began entertaining thoughts that people may be seeing my ministry as the distraction that was causing my slump in my golf game and in my studies. During these times, the pressure to quit ministry became real and a serious consideration for me. I began to question whether it was right and good for me to be leading the Bible studies because I thought it was taking my focus and time away from golf and from school. However, despite the fact that I was entertaining these thoughts, God was blessing my ministry. Our athletes in action Bible study, Bible studies were well attended and growing. We would have a regular and average attendance of about 10 student athletes every week. And that was, and that was way better than how the other Bible studies do, were doing. Within Crew, we were considered one of the fastest growing ministries on campus. The consistent number of people attending our weekly meetings encouraged me and gave me a good reason not to quit and to, excited, and to excitedly prepare for each meeting. Contrary to how other things were going in my life, I could really see that things were going well and good in this regard. I was happy and grateful to God for blessing our ministry. However, every time my performance on the golf course and in school came to mind, the joy would turn into anxiety and doubt. But God was not giving up on me. During one of our Bible studies, as we talked about and discussed our identity in Christ, he spoke to me. Ironically, as my co-leader and I were leading the Bible study, hoping that we were able to connect with the people and connect the message to the people, I felt like it hit me more than it hit them. I found myself crying on the phone to my mom after the Bible study because of how God spoke to me through what his word said. I realized that I was not accepting the identity that he has given me, which was fearfully and wonderfully made. All throughout my struggles this semester, that feeling like I should have, should, should have not been valuable, that I have not been a valuable asset on the golf team, and I thought of falling out of the dean's list, I was just being continuously critical of myself. I sulked in my weaknesses and dwelt in self-pity. I started to accept the fact that I just was not good enough, just not smart enough, just not talented enough. And the list went on and on. I, realized, I then realized that it was the devil who was slyly and subtly feeding those lies to me, and I started to accept it. Coming to that realization, I, I immediately apologized to God and confessed to him my sin of doubt and unbelief. I realized that I, as I was accepting those lies, I was rejecting the identity that he has given me. I wrote down the lies that the devil had been telling me one by one, and countered each one with God's word and promises. God reminded me of 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. God reminded me through this verse that though I have my shortcomings and failures, I should not feel defeated, for it is in these very things that he comes into the picture. He will be the one to strengthen me and empower me, but I will have to trust him, depend on him, and cling to him. I would want to say that everything has gone back to normal after that, but it still stayed the same, and I still want to declare that God is good. Through this season of pruning and struggles that God has allowed me to go through. He has taught me many lessons and nurtured me into the period of growth and maturity. He, thought, he taught me that I should accept the identity that he has blessed me with and not on the things I have nor on the accolades that I have received through my success. He taught me that I should not place him in the box. I say this because I thought that I could glorif only glorify him and be useful to his kingdom only if and when I am playing well and was on the Dean's list. God is not done with me yet. He's still in the process of teaching me, pruning me, and nurturing me towards growth and maturity. As I continue this journey, this period of pruning, I hold on to what his word says in John 15, verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that bears fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And in Psalm 84, verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. My name is Felicia Medalia, a Christian first and last. To God be the glory.
Praise God. Praise God. You know that um, the other night we were having dinner, the three of us, and um, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to, thinking of having a testimony for us here today, but after I heard Felicia's story of how God had been working in her life and how he has been pruning her, then I said, by God's grace, we have a testimony. And here she is. So let's give God all the glory, shall we? Okay, so as we close. Ang ibig sabihin nun, pwedeng humaba pa. Pwedeng isang oras pa tayo rito. Loko lang. As we close. Okay, review. Let's review. What are the fruit that God wants us to produce in our lives? Okay, let's review. What only followers of Jesus bear, produce, the result of, Jesus, of uh, believers' good works. And then what else? Can you read that? Done with God-honoring motives. And what is a fruit? A thought, an attitude, or action that God values because why? Because it glorifies Him. You see, whatever happens in our lives, the good and the bad, the one important thing that we always need to remember, my dear brothers and sisters, is that God wants to be glorified in our lives. That's the bottom line. Alright? So what kind of fruit pleases God? The inner fruit? The character? When somebody cuts you on the road, you don't respond? Or when your husband or wife disrespects you, your children disrespect you, you just smile and say, Ako bahala Patay ka. No, that's not what I mean. It means you express love. You know, it's like the toothpaste illustration. When somebody squeezes you, how do you respond? Right? There's the inner fruit, the character fruit, the fruit that people can't see. You know, this between you and God. Like the people, many people, any of you, you pray. You're prayer warriors. You, you don't make noise. You don't, you, know, you, you don't make yabang or, or show it to other people. You just do it between you and God. And then, of course, there's also the outward fruit. You know, Matthew 5.16 says that in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may glorify your Father in heaven. You see, we need to show the world who we are. Otherwise, how will they know? Right? How will they know the Lord Jesus if they don't see him? If they don't see his people? Right? Here, here in the U.S., I'm so blessed because when you're traveling from place to place on the interstates and you turn on the radio, there's still a lot of Christian radio left. So praise God for that, you know. So we need, as followers of Jesus, we need to show our light. We need to show the light of Jesus. We need to make that light shine so that the unbelievers can see. You know, you'd never... You, it's amazing how so many people need to hear about God. You know, we feel that we're going to offend them, that we're scared. We don't, wanna, we don't want them to get angry with us. But the truth of the matter is the greatest need of every single human being here is to have a deep, intimate, saving relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So, at the same time, there are benefits to us. There are rewards. When we abide, He promises that our, ans our prayers will be answered as long as we what? Remember that? John 15, 7. We do everything if His word abides in us. If we obey, if we are faithful to the Lord, then He will answer our prayers. And we will experience the love of God. Who among you here experiences the love of God? Raise your hand. Praise God. Is it better than any other kind of love in this world? Amen? Yes. Hey, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. What about joy? Do you want to have joy in your life? Do you want to have fulfillment? Something that money, possessions will never, will never produce. We will never be happy. We, it's an, money, if that is what we're after, it is a bottomless pit. Okay? So, ngayon, closing na talaga. I promise you, this is it. Pastor Insong gave me only eight minutes over time. So here it is. Let's all read this together. John 15, 8 to 11. My Father is glorified by this, that you what? You bear much fruit and so prove to be my 
disciples, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that what? My joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you for blessing us with this time, with this opportunity to know how important it is for you that we have a deep, intimate, growing relationship with you, Lord, and that we, may, that we produce fruit as a result as an overflow of that relationship. Father, I pray for every single one of us here. I pray that we would truly be more fruit-bearing for you, that we would glorify you, Lord God, throughout our lives. Wherever you plant us, Father, we know that we are your missionaries. We are your people, planted, born on this earth for one purpose and one purpose alone, and that is to glorify you, Lord God. So, Father, enable us, help us, give us that deep-down desire to actually do this for you. We just want to please you, Lord God. We just want to glorify you. So, Father, I pray for, for this congregation. I pray for everybody, this family here, Lord. May your hand of power and blessing be upon this church, Lord God. And may use this church mightily for the furtherance of your kingdom and your glory, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. God bless you all.